It's good to be with you all this evening. We uh, really appreciate the invitation that was extended, and uh, we've really appreciated the hospitality that we've been able to enjoy with Randy and Janet, who's actually family. Uh, I'm married into the family, but uh, you all may know that uh, Paige is J.R. and Sue uh, Bronger's granddaughter, and yes, I chose to marry into that family. Uh, and uh, I will just say that I'm, I'm very close with J.R. and Sue. They've been a major portion, uh, or had a, had a major uh, part in my life, and I, I appreciate them so much. With all that being said, I am not J.R. Bronger. Uh, and so, with that being said, just to forewarn you about that, we'll go ahead and get into the lesson. Again, if you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Re tonight, what I want to do is just start uh, uh, this weekend with a, a lesson on authority. And in a sense, you never really get away from authority in, in any lesson. At least, at least, hopefully, that's going to be the case. If you're quoting scripture, if you're basing everything that you're saying off of God's word, then, then you're really not getting away from authority, and that's good. Uh, but it's good to have a lesson, I think, that is directly focused on God's authority and really uh, you know, our attitude towards his authority and how we're to view that um, responsibility that we're given as Christians, as, as his servants. And so tonight, that's what I want to do. Is I want to focus on the idea of the boundaries that God sets. And, and the, the laws that he has given to us, the rules that he makes, and the rules that we are expected to follow being his children, being his people. And what I want to do is use this story in Exodus chapter 19 to, to make this case of, of uh, the importance of the boundaries that God sets and really our attitude towards them. And that's going to be the two points we focus on tonight. Uh, I, I try to not leave anything up to the imagination. I'd just like to let you know up front where we're going. We're going to talk about the need for God's boundaries, and we're going to talk about the, the needed attitude, the needed mindset towards God's boundaries. And so again, in Exodus chapter 19, I'd like to go ahead and read a few verses there. You might recall that this is very soon after they have been uh, delivered from Egypt. In fact, you begin in chapter 19 in verse 4, or in verse 3, and God tells Moses to, to go up and tell the people of, of what's about to happen. First of all, he reminds them of where they've been, slavery. Bondage. And then he tells them about how they got where they currently are. God is the one that delivered them. I am the one that brought you here. Now you have liberty. Now you have freedom. And you're no longer in this bondage. Well, he, he starts that way and then he continues uh, on to say that, that I want you to be my people. I will be your God if you will obey me and be my people. Uh, and, and so uh, we, we see in verses 5 and 6 that very familiar passage there of, of, of what we just mentioned. But then he begins to tell Moses uh, what he needs to tell the people about what's about to happen in the next few days. God is going to come to them in Mount Sinai in a very uh, real presence they are going to see of God. Uh, and and, and the, he is going to, uh, especially in chapter 20, go through the law. He's going to pronounce the Ten Commandments. And all the people are going to hear. Uh, but before they do this, there is some, uh, there's some prerequisites that need to be fulfilled by the people before he comes. Verse 10, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go, go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot, uh, or shot through, whether beast or man. He shall not live. Uh, 
When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so, again, this is the, the main uh, passage that I want to use as we talk about the need for God's boundaries. And I, and I really want to uh, look at one, the way one translation renders this verse. The, the New English translation renders this verse in verse 12. Not that you must set bounds, you must set boundaries for the people. And, and uh, you know, I just think that makes it a little bit more clear what I think God is saying. He, in, in a very literal sense, you need to draw a line. And if these people pass it, there will be consequences. Uh, and, and so what I wanna, the first point that I want to make is that, that God's boundaries, his rules, his, the lines that he draws, they're, they're vital for his people to, to not only acknowledge but to adhere to. They're, they're critical in the life of, of his people, of his servants, of his children. First of all, it's, it's not like there has been any time in man's history where there hasn't been rules to follow. Even in the very beginning, in paradise, before sin enters the scene and before death through sin corrupts the earth, what do you see? But, but this, very, uh, this very notion set in place in Genesis chapter 2 in verse 15 Again, before sin has actually entered, uh, before sin has been committed and death entered the earth, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And we'll finish that verse in just a moment. But just understand that even from the very beginning of man's history, there has been rules that God expects his creation to follow. Uh, and, and there are reasons for those rules. But understand, it, it's not just that rule that's been given. There's a couple. First of all, in verse 15, they are to cultivate the ground. Now, we kind of think paradise. <laughs> there's no labor. There's no work in that. I mean, most of us are just, you know, waiting for the weekend. So we don't have to work. And we, don't, and we get to relax and enjoy our free time. But here, that's a part of paradise, which I do think is an interesting side point at the very least. But there's one responsibility that's given to man from the very beginning. But then you also see what is such a familiar verse to all of us, that they are given this commandment, you will not eat. And, and so what the point I'm making here is that started in the beginning of man's history. It goes on to Mount Sinai, where God is giving them the law in Exodus chapter 20, gives them the Ten Commandments, and then it goes on past that into the United Kingdom, the divided kingdom. It goes on to their captivity when they return from captivity. And what I want to suggest is it, we are still under this, this, uh, this authority today. There's still boundaries that God has set for his people. And so we've always had rules that, were, that, that God's people were expected to follow. Beyond that, I think there's a very strong connection uh, throughout Scripture to be made about uh, between keeping God's law, staying within his boundaries, and, and gaining or sustaining life, keeping life. And I want to look, first of all, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5. As Moses is recounting the law, he's, they're about to enter the promised land, and so what do, what do they do? They just repeat everything they know about God's law right before they go in so that they know exactly how they're to act and they know exactly how not to act. Uh, and so as he is just going through this once, once more, uh, at the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse 33, notice what he says about the, the will, the commandments of God and, and our what is supposed to be our adherence to it. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Now, first of all, with some of these passages uh, at the very beginning, what, what I'd like to 
suggest is, in a very natural sense, a physical application is made here. Obeying God as a rule will prolong life. Now, I know that there are exceptions to that. There often are exceptions. But, but the general rule, it's kind of like Proverbs. You read through the Proverbs, that is the wisdom of God. And this is how the world works. But then you get to Ecclesiastes and you see all, the, all of the uh, exceptions where you know, things don't work out the way we think they should. But that's the general rule. You do what God says, it will prolong your life on this earth. Uh, but particularly for them, as, as we're reading through Deuteronomy, uh, especially as they're about to uh, inhabit the promised land. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we won't read all of these passages, but Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is right after he has gone through the blessings that will come with obedience and the curses that are promised to come with disobedience. God is very honest. He's very direct about what will happen should they do what he says or should they reject it. And he tells them, you don't do these things, then I will send judgment and I will send punishment and I will hope that you will return to me. But if you still don't, I'm going to bring even more. And so after all of this, you get to the end of chapter 30 of Deuteronomy and Moses, uh, beginning in verse 19, says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. The blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Abraham Isaac, and Jacob to give them. And we won't look at chapter 32 because it just is a repeat of what we've already read through. I hope you see that there is a very physical application here. This will prolong your life. Uh, and particularly for the Israelites in the land of Canaan as they, as they take it. Not only do we see it throughout the, the law, but God's wisdom only affirms this. In Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, Then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Chapter 7, verse 2, Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. So first we have it in the law. We have it just emphasized in, in the wisdom literature and God's wisdom. And, and I, I, but I also want to kind of take this a little bit further. In Leviticus chapter 18, again, this is a portion of the law. In Leviticus chapter 18, 18 and verse 4, God says, You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Really, I think that this, again, emphasizes what we've been talking about, what we've been saying. That general rule that if you do what God says, you will live. But I also think that there's a very spiritual application here, a very spiritual application that that the people of Israel were supposed to get as they read through the law. It wasn't supposed to stop here. And the reason I think that is because there is a, a moment in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus quotes this verse in Leviticus chapter 18. Remember when the lawyer comes up to him in Luke chapter 10 and he says, well, teacher, how do I gain eternal life? Jesus asked him, well, what, how do you read the law? What is written in the law? And he gives the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You said, hey, that's correct. In verse 28 of Luke chapter 10, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So not only was there an obviously a physical application here, but this ultimately culminates in spiritual life. Jesus quotes Leviticus pointing to its ultimate intended application, which was you should be looking further than just life on this earth. You should be thinking about eternal life. You should be thinking about how our relationship, uh, you should be thinking about our relationship, how deep, how, how deep it is, how close you come to me. And you need to be wary of death, of that especially spiritual death and separation from God. And so 
Again, all that just to say, maybe I'm beating a dead horse here, but all that just to say, there is a very strong connection between keeping God's law and and sustaining life. Well, beyond that, I think this is a very important point to make. God does not, he does not give us rules. He never has given us rules. He's never given us a law simply to hinder us. Sometimes I think people look at rules that way. This is only put into place so I can't have entertainment, so I can't have my fun. I mean, that's, that's what every child thinks about their parent growing up. They just don't want me to have as much fun as I can because they had boring lives growing up because they didn't have all this technology. No, that's, that's not the reason. If it is, then that's pretty cold. <laughs> that's pretty mean, parents. But, but that's not why you do it, is it? You do it for a completely different reason. It's not to hinder them. It's to protect them. And what I want to suggest is that's the exact same thing that God does for us. And from the very beginning, over uh, in, in well, well, first of all, again, Exodus chapter 19, back, going back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and beginning in verse 20. Look at what God says to Moses. It says, first of all, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down. Warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who came near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Now notice what Moses says in verse 23. The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord answers him in verse 24. Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. I think this is interesting because we're about to get uh, this portion of scripture in chapter 20 where God does pronounce the Ten Commandments for all to hear. Not just Moses, but for everyone to hear. And God decides that it's appropriate that they be warned once more, yet again. And I kind of think about that, and and I don't really struggle that, that, uh, that much because really... It's the same issue that we have today. We tend to be a very fickle people. We tend to be a people that are just maybe stiff-necked, stubborn, and and hard uh, to any or callous to any uh, warnings given to us. And so what does the Bible often do? What does God's word often do? Just repeat itself again and again. Not to be tedious and not to be annoying, but because we very easily forget. And I think that's what he's doing with Israel. You go down and you tell them again because this is important. There will be consequences. And looking back at Genesis chapter 2, what is the very end of that verse in in verse 17? After he's given them these responsibilities, first of all, to cultivate the ground, but also not to eat of the fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is it? Just, Just because he doesn't want them to enjoy every blessing on earth. That's not the reason. At the end of verse 17 of chapter 2, it says, For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. I just think it's amazing how honest God is the entire time throughout the story of the Bible. So honest, so very direct. And yet, even though you have all of these things pointed out way beforehand as warnings, as cautionary warnings, as cautionary instruction, people still, they just don't believe it. They think, I think I know better. And they go, and they go on. And, and, and that is such a problem. That brings us to our next point. Uh, first of all, Proverbs chapter 14, verses, verse 12, and in chapter 16 and verse 25, this is really, uh, uh, they, they say essentially the same thing. But in Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seems right to a man, 
but its end is the way of death. And I know that's a familiar passage to you. You probably all know that already. But, but this is a problem. We tend to think that we know better. We tend to think, uh, listen, I understand that, that you know, maybe other lesser people, the weaker-minded people, or maybe the, the, the people with weak resolve, of course they would fail. But listen, I've grown up in the church, and, and, and I have heard God's word all my life. I think I can do a little bit better. And we get maybe a little bit prideful or arrogant, and we kind of toss those instructions. We toss that warning to, this, to the wayside. And that is, I think, what this proverb is talking about. That is a way that seems right to a man, but ultimately, pride goeth before the fall. Destruction comes when you don't do what God says, when you don't keep within the boundaries that God has given us. We cannot trust our own emotions or our own wisdom as a standard of measuring how far is too far because we're very often wrong. Our, our emotions tend to get in the way. We, we tend to not be as objective as we think we are, we're very subjective, very biased, uh, and, and, and Often we don't even realize it. But maybe that's not, maybe that's not the case for you. It, 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 it may not be that your emotions are getting in the way. It could just be ignorance. I think so much of the Bible is, is just trying to warn people before they get to a specific temptation, before they get to a point that they don't want to be in, you know, stay away from this. Don't do this. Because many other people have failed. Stronger men have failed. So you be careful. In uh, Psalm 19, in verses 11 through 13, you see what David says as, as, uh, as he talks about the presumptuous sins. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Would you like to answer that? Would anybody like to raise their hands? I can. I can. And I don't need any help. And, and honestly, I think I can do a pretty good job without this. Nobody's going to raise their hand. Nobody's brave enough. At least I hope not. But, but that is because we, we know the end of the story. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Hidden faults. Verse 13, also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. When will I be blameless, David says? When I'm not engaging in presumptuous sins. It, as long as God is keeping me back from presumptuous sins. And I think this, I think this passage is so important. Because often I just simply don't know the danger or the risk of something. I just got to trust God knows best. Now, with that being said, there was something that was going around on Facebook. And, and I love the Andy Griffith show. I don't know how you feel about it. But, but I love the Andy Griffith show. And, I, and there was one episode where a hobo comes into town. And I, I'm pretty sure that's the name given to him in the credits. So I'm not trying to be, be rude or disrespectful. It, that was the name given to him in the credits, I'm pretty sure. But, but a hobo comes into town, and he has kind of a negative effect on, on uh, Andy. I have no idea why I'm forgetting his name. But Andy's son's uh, mindset. Oh, Opie. Opie. Thank you. He, he's having a negative effect on Opie's mindset. Opie's kind of starting to think in the same way that the hobo is. And, and, and a hobo thinks that he can just really do whatever he wants and not really worry about the consequences. So Andy, uh, as he's talking to the hobo, the hobo says, who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? Why not let him decide? And I love Andy Griffith's response. He says, See, I'm, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a youngin decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. 
Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. Now, when Andy says it, it's a lot calmer. <laughs> but that not that so true? We tend to be just like a child. And I'm not saying that, that, that we you know, aren't intelligent. I'm not saying we're smart. Sometimes the intelligence is actually the, the very thing that helps us fail. What it is is we cannot trust our faculties if they are completely isolated from God's word. If, if we have God's wisdom going along with us, well, then there's something to talk about there. But alone, who am I to discern my errors? I've already failed. I need God's word the entire time. And so we need to make sure that we don't trust in ourselves, but rather trust in God's wisdom. Because surely, surely he knows best. Well, finally with this point, not only does, does uh, he, he tell them to, to stay away, I, I, he makes it so clear. And I want to look at the way the New English translation renders this verse. And you see it highlighted there, the way that it says how, they are to stay, how the people stayed away, their response. In verse 18, all the people were seeing the thunder, thundering and the lightning and heard the sound of the horn and saw the mountain smoking. This is what happens when, when God's presence approaches. And this is just a fraction of his glory. Now, seriously, try to imagine. I know it's hard, but try to imagine yourself in, in their circumstances. They were just delivered from Egypt. They don't have much. They're nomads. And there's no house to go hide in. There's no tent, really, that, that is solid enough to hide in. When God approaches and you hear this thundering and the lightning, and you hear the sound of the horn, and they saw the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled with fear. What did they do? What was their response? They kept their distance. They said to Moses, you, you speak, to, speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak with us lest we die. This is right after the, God has actually spoken the Ten Commandments for the people to hear. This is their response, and this isn't a bad response. In fact, in Deuteronomy, what we find is Moses says, God says that this was the appropriate response. It, it, it needed to start with fear, with reverent fear. Now, that needs to mature and, and grow in harmony with love, absolutely. But this is absolutely an appropriate and right and correct, righteous response of people who, who come into contact with the glory of God. And it's a consistent response, as you see throughout Scripture. And so, obviously, they, they, they don't want to hear this again. They say, please, please, you go listen to what he says and then come back and let us know because we will surely die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you so that you do not sin. The people, again, kept their distance, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was, and he would receive the rest of the law and the ordinance from, from the Lord. Now, I, the, the New English translation says that they kept their distance. The English Standard Version says they stood far off. And honestly, I, th I think that would be my response as well. I think that would be all of our response. To stand far up. Listen, I'm not even thinking. I'm not even thinking about approaching that line that he set. He didn't even have to set that line. I'm running the opposite direction because he is too holy for me. Uh, but there is something to say about how God prepared them for his holiness to, to approach them. Uh, that they had to consecrate themselves and clean themselves. But even with all of that, all of that preparation, terror of an almighty and a totally holy and pure God. Now, this is really uh, the, the 
final point that I want to look at, this idea of, of keeping how they kept their distance, how we, I think, should keep our distance. Also, from, from uh, the lines that God has set, we need to respect the lines that God has set for us, obviously. But I also think that God clearly and consistently expects us to keep our distance, just like they did when it comes to sin. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 21. It says, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now we know what that word abstain means. It means you don't do it. You, it, it shouldn't be a part of your life. You abstain from it, abstinence. You, keep, you, you have no part in it. Not, not only should we abstain from it, but again, I, I like to look at what other translations have to say, and, and, and I like to look at the word. Whoops, I think I pressed the wrong button there. I like to look, look at the Greek word that's used. Now, it's, now I'm just going crazy. I'm sorry about that. But here's a, a couple different translations of the same verse in verse 22. Not only abstain from it, every form of sin, but you stay away. Stay away from every form of sin. And I think that that is striking. I think a lot of the times what, what happens is we, we receive the revelation of God. We receive his will, his instructions. And often they tend to be a, a caution. You don't want to be a part of this. And you don't want to walk in the way of the wicked. And, and you know, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't do all of these things. It's not, it's not like, uh, and I think, I think this is really what the Pharisees were guilty of. It's not like God is saying, you could do, you could do everything approaching this, but just don't do this. Wasn't that the issue of the Pharisees? They had corrupted the law. They had said, okay, we know, not, we know that we need to honor our father and mother. But, but if I you know, utilize this aspect of the law or of, of our traditions, then that means that I don't really have to take care of my parents. And I can say that my house is given to God when really I'm still benefiting from it. And I, don't have to, I, I no longer have to actually fulfill God's expectations to honor father and mother. You know, I don't... You know, we're not supposed to lie. I understand that. But half-truth, I mean, I can say that. What is that doing? You're approaching the line as close as you, that's towing the line. I, I, maybe I'm not telling a half-truth, but, but, but maybe I'm just being deceitful. I think God's commandment expected, uh, wanted, not just people who, who wouldn't do the sin, but also would let it affect their hearts so that they didn't try to get up to... Do every single thing right up to the very point where God says, don't do it. That's obviously not what God, obviously not what God wanted. And I think that, that we can be, uh, I think that we're capable enough to understand that. And so we need to not only abstain from sin, but we need to stay away from every form of sin, every form of evil. And also we are not, uh, again, in Romans chapter 13, not to get close to it. In chapter 13 and verse 14, instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to arouse its desires. You know, that idea of arousing the desires, the, the, the idea of, of the lust of the flesh and the lust of this life waging war against the soul. You know what wages war against the soul better than most things? Allowing... Uh, Wicked thoughts, uh, entertaining wicked thoughts, allowing them to, to have a sway over us throughout the day. Listen, I'm not going to act on it, but, but I'm, I am thinking about it, right? I, you know, I understand that I'm not supposed to do this, but I haven't completely shut the door and say, I will not do it. 
I'm just kind of running through a few different scenarios in my mind. Maybe there's a way that I could do that. I think that's the issue with Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, if you recall. He knew what God had told him to do. You don't go with these people because they're trying to curse Israel, my people. Balaam knew exactly what God had already said. But when they come back with promises of honor and riches, well, maybe, maybe God actually will allow me to do this. Even though I know his will already, maybe he'll, God allows him to do it. But ultimately, it leads to Balaam's destruction. And that is the exact same story. That, uh, that will be the exact same story for us should we go down the same path, knowing what God's will is for us, and yet not respecting it enough to, to again, make, have the resolve to cut sin off, cut temptation off at the very roots. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, very quickly. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And again, we, we, we help lust wage war against our souls when we entertain the thought and, and, and don't shut it off immediately. Well, I, I can't help but think about an application that actually J.R. Uh, once gave uh, us in the high school class when, when Paige and I were still in high school. It, it was an interesting class, and it, incidentally, it was on authority. Uh, and, and we were talking about the authority of the church and certain things that the church is allowed to do and not allowed to do. And we had we'd established the fact that, that we, God expects us to, to sing. And that is all. And we don't add instruments into that worship because that's not what God has called for. And that's, almost, and that's bringing some things from the, from the Old Covenant into the New without God's revelation. Well, we already established that fact. But then he said, okay, well, what if somebody comes up and says... All right, I understand that we can't play a piano in, this, in the worship service. I, I understand that. But could we still buy the piano? N not, to not to play it, but, but just to get the pitch. Could we do that? And J.R. just sat there in, in J.R. Bronger fashion and said, how would you respond to that? <laughs> and, you know, kind of hesitant, kind of reluctant, not really sure. I mean... I don't want it in here, but I mean, I, I guess if all you're going to do is use it to get the pitch, then, then I guess it's fine. And what Jr. said was, that is such a dishonest question. I'm not even going to entertain it with a response. Because what are you trying to do? This person, if, if, that's, if, that's their, if this is the kind of uh, response that they give, all they're trying to do is toe the line. All they're trying to do is just, just as close as they can. But that's not what God expects of us, as we've already established. First of all, it's just a stupid choice because a pitch pipe is so much cheaper. And so, I mean, obviously we're not going to respond. That's just foolish. That's not logical. But it goes beyond that. It's not just the, the plain fact that it would be smarter to just get a pitch pipe. It goes to the point of, of irreverence when we try to toe the line and when we try to get just as close as we can, all the while staring at God's revelation. You know, we sometimes do this as children. I remember doing this to, to my siblings. I had four siblings. And, and one thing that we all like to do, was it just me? But one thing that we all like to do is, you know, play that game where you, you put your finger as close as you can to their face. And you know what happens. Get your finger out of my face. I'm not touching you. I, I, I'm not touching you. And you kind of do that for a few minutes until ultimately they hit you or your parents throws you out of the car and leaves without you. And, and, and you know, we like to play that game. We understand that when they say, get it out of my face, it doesn't just mean don't touch me. It means put your hand in your lap and do not even stare at me. <laughs> right? 
we, we understand this. We are very capable of understanding this. But when, when it comes to God's will, we act so incapable. And we act so just dumbfounded. Well, God wouldn't expect me to do that. I mean, I mean I, 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 honestly, how far is too far? It's a dishonest question. So I'm not going to dignify it with a response. You know how you're to act. You know the attitude that you're supposed to have when it comes to God's commands and God's instruction. Finally, I think that these things that we are to stay away from, sin, I think it's much easier to spot than we sometimes act like. Uh, Over in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're about to read through the the, the deeds of the flesh, the the works of the flesh. And in in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, what does Paul say about the deeds of the flesh? Now, the deeds of the flesh are ambiguous, vague, not clearly seen. No, he in fact says the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite. The deeds of the flesh are evident, plain, clear, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. First of all, he starts by saying these things are evident, but then he ends that list right after the list saying and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things will keep you out of heaven. These things will keep you out of his kingdom. So don't do them and stay away from them. Well, what? What are we talking about? I mean, how, how far are we going to take this? How far do you think we should take it? Maybe, maybe you should answer that question. And if all you want to do is like the Pharisees, say, oh, I can do anything except the one thing that God you know, directly states, bluntly states. But again, we just talked about the corruption of the Pharisees. That's what they did, and Jesus condemned them. Woe to you, you Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, he calls them. Are you a hypocrite? If that's how you approach Scripture, I'd say yes. That's at least one of your issues. But it doesn't have to be, because I think we're smarter than that. God has given us the capability to understand his will. He's given us everything that we need to be right with him and to become close with him, to become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's the goal. And we can absolutely understand that. It's just a matter of, you know, do I want to? And I would just say, it's kind of like Romans chapter 1 and verses 29 through 32, as, as Paul goes through a few different things that are sinful. This is not necessarily an exhaustive list. And by that I mean, you know, stating absolutely everything. In fact, that's why I think that's one of the reasons he says, and things like these. So it's not an exhaustive list, just like the law of Moses wasn't necessarily just a completely exhaustive list, though there was quite a few things to to learn and read through. But we're to understand the point that God is making. We are to not be like the Pharisees and say, I want to be that chosen nation. I want to be that holy priest. And you know how dedicated they had to be to be pure when they would give an offering, to be clean before they would give an offering to God, be a part of that very intimate uh, 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 worship with God. And you know what we are in First Peter chapter 2? Christians, you, Christian, under the new covenant, you're a kingdom of priests. In Romans chapter 12, you are the offering. You have to make sure that you are, are dedicated enough to be that, that, that uh, 
acceptable offering, to be the priest that can give the acceptable offering. You need to be just as dedicated. We, both of us, all of us need to be just as dedicated. Finally, uh, again, just I want to just end with looking at uh, the way the, the CSB renders this verse in verse 21 of Galatians chapter 5. It's not just things like these, but he says, anything similar. Is that not clear enough? I think it is. And I think I'm looking at a, a group of, of capable and, and, and smart people who can discern between God's will and the foolishness of man, between God's revelation and, and the, the adaptations, the additions that man tries to bring in, and the corruptions that man brings to the table. We can do better. And so that is the, the message tonight. That's the invitation tonight. You know, time and time again, what we see in the Bible is people getting as close as they can to that line, and then, oh, just somehow slipping over. You trespass. Well, it's not really, you know, somehow they did. That's what they were, walk- that's what they were wanting to do in the first place. Time and time again. But maybe, maybe, we're, maybe I'm someone who has been towing the line, and I trespassed, but it was really an accident. I really did not mean to. Maybe that's the case. But guess what? I am still just as responsible as those who do so willfully. Why? Because I did not revere God. And I did not respect the law, the instruction, the caution, the warnings that he gave to us time and time and time again. Stiff-necked, stubborn. And so I will be held just as responsible. With kids, the reasoning of how far can I go, that's never acceptable. We never say that, again, we never dignify that with a response. Because it's not a good question, it's dishonest. So why should it be acceptable for me to say in my relationship to God? There, you, you know the old adage, play, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. There is possibly no truer statement with regards to judgment. You play with fire, are you toying with sin? You very well may be burned. If you're on that path, you can come back. If you're a Christian and you have been toying the line, you have been respecting God, you can make things right tonight and you can, uh, you can pray to God. You can get the, the support of the brethren here, of your brethren here. And I'm sure there's nothing more than they would love to help you in that. If you're not a Christian, let me just say, maybe you're someone who says, I, I hate rules and I, I'm sorry, I just can't accept rules. I, I don't do it in my regular life, so I'm not going to do it here. That's your choice. You can, you can say that. You get to say, I'm not going to accept this. But understand that what you choose, you will have to accept the consequences. Whatever you choose. Whether it be the reward, the blessings of obedience, or the curse of disobedience. And what a heartbreaking thing it is for people who have the full revelation of God. Everything that he intended to give to us right in our hands, in our pockets. And yet, we can still go astray and end up in eternal death, separated from God. I don't want that for you, and I know no one here wants that for you. If you want to accept the invitation of Christ, become a Christian. If you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, willing to make that public confession, willing to confess that you will be with him till the day of your death, willing to repent of your sins, and to be baptized into his death, to rise in newness of life, his life, you can do that tonight and become a Christian. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sit.